you've found the teacher's desk. 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 Welcome back to the teacher's desk. My name is Ivan, your host. This is a podcast that is all about teaching, learning, the classroom. And as we've discussed before, these days, the classroom is taking place largely inside the home. So one of the things that we're trying to do here at the teacher's desk is to talk about how that transition can take place, how we can support the parents and aunts and uncles and grandparents and older siblings and anyone who's taking on the task of helping the education process to happen at home. What help can we give them? Now, granted, most parents or other people that are assuming the role aren't developing a whole lot of curriculum. Hopefully, if you are in a position that you are stuck at home with your kids and you don't have a supply of curriculum, there are options out there for you. And if you're having trouble finding those options, reach out. Reach out. If I can't answer the question, I, I, I know a lot of people that would be able to help. So, if you're not developing curriculum, then there's other parts of the teaching job that these people at home need to be aware of. They deserve to have the, as much support as we can give them. Okay, so this episode is called Teaching at Home. And I wanted to go over a few more points, a few more things that could help those that are operating a school from home. And I want to give you things that can help and I also want to help to keep your eyes open for ways that you can change and adjust to make things better. Now, there's a lot of parents that are out of their element right now. A lot of them want to be working and they're not. They're at home. A lot of them are not teachers and yet they are suddenly taking on that role with their kids. And honestly, for a lot of us, it is difficult to be motivated when we're at home. It's very difficult. One thing of all of this time inside has brought us, it has been a lot of memes on the internet. And one of the ones that I've seen over and over again is around the topic of, you know, I've been waiting to have enough time to do all the chores that I've been behind on in my home. And now I see that the issue wasn't time. <laughs> and it is, it's hard to find motivation at home. The home should be a place of relaxation. It should be a place of community. It should be a place that we come together and perhaps let a lot of the other things in the world drop away. For today's episode, Teaching at Home, there are three main things that I want to talk about. One is the teaching environment and the classroom and what teachers try and do with the classroom that parents now need to be able to do at home, at least to some point. I'd also like to introduce you to the idea of time management and being a leader in the sense of helping your student, your kid, your teenager to delegate their time appropriately throughout the day. Lastly, I want to talk a bit about student voice, what it means to build something off of what a student says or what a student observes. But let's go back and let's start with the environment. First of all, if you are one of these adults creating the classroom at home, take a minute to think back on the favorite classrooms you had when you were in school. Even if you didn't like school, 
what were the classrooms that you felt comfortable in? Now, there may be some of you that think, well, I like the shop class or the band room or home ec if you're old enough to remember home ec or family and consumer science. There's a lot of particular rooms that really work for certain students. But what I'm talking about is, especially for those core subjects, math, English classes, social studies, what were things that you remember that you enjoyed? A classroom's design is very deliberate. How you arrange the chairs in the room, if there's enough room to be arranging your chairs. I've worked in classrooms that had only enough room for the chairs that you had, so there was very little arranging them. The posters that you put up, the messages that you put up, the tools that were there. I mean, if you're in a kindergarten classroom, a lot of times you have colors with the name of the colors and different shapes. And then when you're in elementary school, you have words from simple two and three letter words to more complicated words to small phrases and sentences. And as you get older, you have more and more that's on there. In high school, you're going to have quotes that have deeper meanings that should be applying to what the teenagers are thinking about. Now, let's go back to what I said earlier. The home is not always easy to motivate us in because it's a place that we relax and we re let go. Now, all of these adults that are assuming the role of teacher, they're suddenly trying to hold a class in a place that's meant to relax. All right, so what do you do? What can a parent do for this? First of all, you need to realize that the home is not a classroom. A lot of you will be working on your dining room table or in your living room. If you have that kind of space, a lot of people don't even have that kind of space. I'll tell you, one of the most frustrating things for a teacher is when a student doesn't have the space to be able to work when they go home. Think about that for a second. There's the kids that don't do their homework because they lack the motivation, they lack the focus, and they really don't care enough to get it out and do it. Then there's the kids that go home and there's not a surface large enough for them to lay down their notebook. There's not a chair that they can use to sit down. I know that sounds extreme, but don't underestimate the situations that a lot of these kids are living in. So some of you out there may not even have a large enough space to dedicate to a classroom. Clear off part of that kitchen table or that dining room table for a few hours during the day. Well, now you have your surface, but it's still the dining room table or the kitchen table or the coffee table in the living room. So consider these ideas. Change it. Have something that changes the room, even if it's just a small thing, but something that shows this is the classroom during this time. If you run from 9 to 1, 9 a.m., the alarm goes off, everybody starts class, and maybe you have a cork board with some messages on it or a poster. Maybe you have, I mean, for the younger kids, this could mean a project in which you're making the poster. Making a poster that says school is in and another one that says school is out. Maybe you could research the best educational quotes and everybody comes up with their favorite one, copies it down and tapes it up in the room. What I'm saying is it should be a little bit different than what it is normally. And that can really help. And if the kids are involved in it, if the teenager is involved in it, if they can do 
that one little thing, okay, this is not the living room right now, this is the classroom for the next four hours. The TV is off, the phones are put away, and we're working on classwork. And we have our big board up, or our poster on the wall, or whatever little adjustment that you agree on, that's there for the next four hours. The alarm goes off, you take that element out of the equation, it's the living room again, or it's the dining room again. They might seem like simple things, these little adjustments, but they actually mean a lot. Teachers that work to create these classroom environments, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to create an environment that the student understands is about this subject matter. You go into an English classroom, there's there should be exciting things about the English language, about writing and about reading and understanding and all of these things in that classroom. A social studies classroom should be bringing people into interesting periods of time and phrases that reflect on what that means for us to look back on history. There's all sorts of things that teachers can do and it goes into how do we create this for a child or a teenager or a learning mind? How do we make them feel like this is for learning? This is where they can open their mind to that learning. So I guess what I'm arguing here is it doesn't take much. It can just be one little thing. I've heard some interesting things lately from people that work from home that are trying to help other people that are suddenly telecommuting to work, etc., etc., one of them was get up and go through your same morning routine as if you were going to work. Shower, do your hair, get dressed in the clothes you would be working in. I mean, everybody loves pajamas, of course. I'm not going to advocate against pajamas. But some people need that sense of normalcy, that sense of I'm going to do something different than just be in my home for the next few hours. And that can help to change that frame of mind. Remember, a lot of us are guided by our mindset. I mean, there is the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. Well, think about the home mindset versus the work mindset or the school mindset. If we can change our home mindset for a few hours to focus on school, that just makes it all a little bit easier for us. To go back over this, what I'm advocating for, for those people that are assuming the role of teacher at home, Wherever you are engaging in your learning, work with your students, work with your kids to create a way to change it, even just a little bit. I mean, this could be really fun. You could do a project with your kids, with your students, where they are finding the things that they want to see in their quote-unquote classroom. If you have a printer, maybe you're printing up some memes that they find on the internet or some quotes that remind them of what they're learning. There's a lot of options that you can do here. Granted, not everybody has the resources to have a 4x5 map of the United States that you work with, or a printer that can do colorful posters off of the internet. It, not everybody has all of that. But you can be creative. You could make collages out of old magazines or junk mail. There's a lot of things that you can do to create something that has the focus of Adjusting that mindset. How do we create the we're at school mindset for those few hours? The second thing I wanted to talk about today 
was how those that are assuming the role of teacher at home can help their students by managing the routines and setting up the schedules. This is another thing that's really hard to do from hard to do on our own, especially from home. People that work from home, they have, if they're successful, they have developed a way of managing their own schedule, making sure that they put in enough time doing the work that they need to do so that they don't fall behind day after day. It's really easy to get diverted. We have so many things going on at home, whether it be chores, reading a book, that series you're watching on whatever streaming service you use. I mean, there's a lot of distractions. I'm looking at my guitar out of the side of my eye right now, thinking that it's been a little longer than I'd like it since I've played. (laughs) There's a lot of distractions here. Same for students, same for kids, same for teenagers. So part of how you can help them is you are the outside observer. You see what works and what doesn't. Be the observer. Make some decisions that are based on those observations. If they are really struggling to do math first thing in the morning, how about don't do math first thing in the morning? How about you move math until after lunch or after the first thing that you do? Watch how it works, see what works, see what doesn't work, and help them to create a routine that follows that. Now, I would say work with students on your ideas, but develop your ideas first. Come up with a plan on what you think is going to work as a daily routine for your kid, your kids, your students, then bring it to them. Show them what your idea is. Okay, this is what I have. I think we need to work on these two subjects in this period of time. We'll take a break. We'll come back and we'll work on these. What do you guys think? If you bring students into a conversation about the rules that they're going to have to follow, you give them the chance to voice how they feel. Kids won't always take you up on that. Kids won't always be honest in how they really feel about something, but if you at least give them that platform to share their ideas, it can often really help when it comes to the buy-in of those rules, of those routines. Now granted, I recommend you be open, but you also need to be consistent. They don't get to negotiate math just going away. (laughs) You need to be consistent in, we are doing these things but I wanted to hear what you had to think about my ideas here. You guys seem to really resist math first thing in the morning, so I put it after lunch. How do you feel about that? Etc., etc. And this goes beyond just the routines. When you bring kids, when you bring students into the process that they are going to have to follow, developing a rubric, developing a routine, coming up with discipline, What you end up getting is you end up getting more of a conversation than just you telling them what to do. And that can really help. Now, when it comes to managing these routines, the other thing that parents need to think about is modeling strong skills. Even if you don't necessarily have the strongest skills when it comes to managing routines. You can't see me, but I'm raising my hand right now. (laughs) I am not the most organized person. In my classroom, I need to be a more organized person, not just because I'm dealing with multiple students and all of these assessments that I'm trying to keep track of, but I'm also trying to model that level of organization and following through with my routines. So, 
going back over this. The second point that I want to make for those that are assuming the role of teacher, help to develop the routine and the schedule that is going to work for the students. Observe how well they do in certain areas, how much time they need. Look for what works. Look for what doesn't. Come up with something that you feel will work and then bring it to your students. Talk about the new routine. Talk about what they think will work and make the agreement that you're going to follow through with this. Be open to those ideas that they might have, but be consistent with your own. Be careful with negotiations. If there's one thing learning minds get better at as they get smarter, it's negotiation. Be careful with the negotiations. And then lastly, model strong skills when it comes to managing those routines. Set it up and then be consistent with it. There are times that you can offer rewards. Hey, if we stay focused on this, maybe we can quit half an hour early today because I want to do this. Or that's fine. I wouldn't say that that's really a bad thing. I mean, getting out of class early, it can be a special thing but you don't want to get into a habit of doing it too much. You're not getting a whole lot done and you start falling behind. So make sure that you're not giving up a lot, even though there can be little ones. Hey guys, let's just finish. Let's just go ahead and quit 10 minutes early today because I think we need to go take a walk or it's really nice. We should be maybe go out in the backyard or story time if it's the young kids or something of that sort, but don't give up much. Make sure that you're consistent. Make sure that you develop that routine you follow through with it, make sure they're on board with it, and help them so that at the end of every week, they've accomplished what you've set out to accomplish. The third piece of advice that I wanted to give to those that are assuming the role of teacher at home is supporting student voice and making connections with things around them. As I'm sure a lot of you know, when a student tells you about something, when they describe something or tell you how something works, and shares with you their understanding, they're accessing something called prior knowledge. They have prior knowledge of this. They know something about it. When we make connections between what we're learning at the moment and with our prior knowledge, it helps us to develop understanding. There's a lot of research out there that shows when we access prior knowledge before and during learning, Students often have an easier time creating that understanding with the new subject matter. Now, what does that mean for people who are acting as teacher at home? Well, it doesn't mean that you need to be badgering students with questions all the time. How do you apply this to this? How do you act? How do you make this connection here? What it does mean, though, is that you can look for opportunities to make those connections, to help students to see how to apply what they're learning through their curriculum to the things that they already know or would like to know, perhaps. This might be a far-fetched for some people, but consider video games and storytelling. If you watch some of the video games that, that some of the kids are playing these days, story-based video games, there are elements that students learn in English language arts class that are evident in these video games. One of the best areas to teach math or to make connections in math is in the kitchen. If you have a student that is working through fractions, a kitchen can be a wonderful place to show how to do that. Make a batch of cookies, but only use a quarter and a third measuring cups. What are opportunities that you can see to make the connections with what the students are learning? 
Now, I did say, I believe it was last episode, be careful not to bring the curriculum into every aspect of the home. Remember that you are at home, and as I've reiterated, the school day needs to start at a certain time, and it needs to stop at a certain time, so that your students and you feel like you can also be at home, and the school isn't going to take that over. That being said, the classroom can move into the kitchen if you are going to make something and use those math skills and make those connections. The classroom can take part in another, in another way if you see the opportunity of making these connections. I don't want to add burden to people that are at home working as a teacher right now, I, but I want to give you advice for things to look for. Now, if you don't see these connections, if you don't see opportunities for these connections, that's okay. To try and force one, a lot of times it doesn't work. But if your eyes are open and you do see the opportunity, that can really help them. And going back to the first part of this, student voice. Ask students what they know about something. We're about to learn about photosynthesis. What do you know about how plants live and grow? Ultimately, student voice is about listening to what students know. Sometimes they're wrong, and that's fine, which goes back to my second episode, the importance of being wrong, but it gives you a point to start from, and it often gives the students a feeling of ownership because they're being listened to and because they have an opinion and they have at least some sort of investment. So the three things that we went over today for those that are assuming the role of teacher at home, is developing a learning environment, something that you can do that transitions your, the part of your home you're using for a classroom and transitions that into a classroom while that learning is taking place. Secondly, managing routines and schedules. The person in charge of teaching is a guide. They should be observant to what works and what doesn't and helps to keep the students on task through a routine that works for everyone. Watch what works, watch what doesn't. Develop a routine, take it to the students. Everybody look at it, make an agreement, and then be consistent and model those good organization skills. Lastly, we talked about student voice and making connections. Look for opportunities to listen to what students know, allow them to access that prior knowledge, and then look for the opportunities to make the connections between what they already know and what they're currently learning. Those might happen often, they might not happen often, and that's okay. It's something else that you can have your eyes open for and can ultimately help not only with student understanding, but also their buy-in and feeling of ownership in what you are learning. Okay, and today we have an interview with Katie. Katie is a middle school humanities and English teacher Katie is intelligent and quick-witted and has a wonderful sense of humor. She comes across as being very positive and she's very collaborative when it comes to working with her students and with other teachers. And as much as I'd like her to share who she is as a teacher and how she became a teacher, I'd also like to hear a little bit of what she has to say about, has to say for those that are at home trying to run a classroom in some part of their house these days. And without further ado, Here's my interview with Katie. Since 
I've been a teacher, it's just been so eye-opening to, I mean, we wear so many different hats and it is a really big part of the support system for, for a lot of kids. Absolutely. And that's something that I don't think a lot of even my friends know about is when you go in and you're teaching a group of I mean, I teach sixth grade this year, so a group of 36 graders, they're not all reading at the same level. They don't come to you with the same background knowledge. They don't have, some of them don't have food at home and that's their biggest issue. And trying to get them to focus on anything other than hunger or, you know, name any other issue that's going on in their life is is really challenging. And I think sometimes we have this idea of, you know, what a classroom is based on TV or based on our own memories. And it's very different than um, what it has been in the past, for sure. Oh, oh, yeah. Even just what you remember as a child versus what's reality. There's there's so many different things that are going on. The lens of a child is... Absolutely. Um, one of the things that I bring up in this episode is creating an environment. So I looking at like Caroline Tomlinson's differentiation in the classroom, mm. she has the big five principles, the big five things that we need to be uh, as teachers watching out for. Now, differentiation is much more than what parents need to be worried about. It's There's a lot of teachers that are still wrapping their heads around um, all of that stuff. But one of the big principles that is important is creating a learning environment. Absolutely. And so I, I go on this thing talking about how people at home, if you can change the environment just a little bit, even just a little bit so that it feels more like a learning environment. Mm -hmm. And, um, I do mention that one of the frustrating things is there's a lot of kids, we're all working with something different and there's a lot of kids that don't have a place at home to do homework. Yeah. Um, we need to give them that in school. Absolutely. And I think when you're talking about space to work. We also have to talk about the mindset to work because so often kids, when they go to school, they've been going to school for years. We've really trained students on how to be students at school. Mm -hmm. And when they come home, that's their free time. They might have chores or they might have some homework, but it's not as structured. And so their mindset is complete. They're like, home's not a place for me to be in the classroom or sit down for this long and do this much work. And so changing that mindset is going to be really difficult to break those kind of habits that we've instilled for years in these kids. And finding that place in your house can help change that mindset if it's oh, available for sure. It's so big because, and I feel like I have the same thing with myself. Mm -hmm. I am not, I am not a work from home guy. Oh, me neither. <laughs> yeah, I actually set up um, a workspace for me. So I took a bookshelf and moved it into the middle of my living room. And so I have a physical divide between where I can sit and watch TV <laughs> and where I can work. Because I just can't, I need that structure. Otherwise, I'm going to be watching Netflix all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's that kind of discipline is, yeah, that's that's fantastic because... That's what we need to do. We need to do something to change it because if I, even if I'm doing constructive things, even if I leave the TV off, I, maybe I'll make myself breakfast instead of just having a bowl of cereal. Mm -hmm. And then I, oh, but 
now there's dishes and man, it's been a while since I've cleaned my kitchen. And I mean, <laughs> on it and on it and on it. And it's like, wow, I've been, produ oh dude, I have not been productive. I've been the right? wrong kind of productive. <laughs> and it can, it's not something that everybody's wired for. Yeah. Uh, my wife does fantastic. She will set the alarm and go down and work and mm -hmm. hours later come up and she's done everything that she set out to do. And I mean, yeah. Some people have an easier time and then some people are moving their shelves in their living room to create a small office, which is genius, by the way. I find myself in my little office. And I think finding out the kind of person you are, if you have been productive since this has happened, great. You are like your wife. But if you haven't, if you've been like me and it's taken a long time to get into it, then just thinking about, okay, what do I need in order to be successful? And I've also, um, I'll set up like virtual, like meetups with friends, but I always do it in the afternoon because I want to give myself some time to be successful before I mentally check out and just start talking to somebody. And in my case, have a glass of wine, but <laughs> you know, that that's going to get me out of it. And it gives me something to look forward to after I get something accomplished. I love what you said, a chance to be successful before you move on to something else. So you get something out of the way. Uh, yeah, that's, that's tremendous. And I think those personal rewards are really important. And if you can kind of set up your routine to have those things to look forward to, I think that is, that is really important. And I think it works really well with uh, kids too, whether they be young kids or teenagers. We're all waiting for that bell at the end of the day in school. <laughs> not not a one of us is not waiting for that bell. And it's there's a reward to it. It's like that release that, mm -hmm. oh, it's we're, we're done for the day. And having yeah. that, I get to look forward to this. I get to hang out with my friends right now virtually, of course. But mm -hmm. um, we get to do this together. And uh, yeah, I think that is, that's another important aspect of it for sure. Well, and I think too, when you're talking as far as kids go, really making sure that, I mean, it's a fine line between reward and bribery yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not going to get a whole bunch with the bribery. And I listened to your last podcast and you talked about that power struggle, mm -hmm. uh, like getting rid of it by setting the timer. You know, so that way you don't have to be a bad guy. The same thing is once you offer that bribe, your kid is going to latch on to that and not <laughs> necessarily do things without that carrot. Right. Right. Yeah. Struggle with this right now. <laughs> so, yeah. And you slip up and make that carrot a little juicier one, once or twice, and they won't go back to the small time carrot anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a vicious cycle. Vicious. But it we is. talk a lot about in the classroom, just uh, praise positive um, reinforcement that way. And it's incredible how far that goes. I think sometimes we get into this idea that rewards have to be tangible mm -hmm. and it really doesn't. I mean, being recognized for doing something well will go a really far way. I know I like it when somebody, when my boss sees something that I'm doing at work and just compliments me on it, a specific thing, I'm like, oh yeah, that was great. And you kind of smile and you feel everything light up. The same thing with your kid. I mean, just telling them that they did a really good job and taking that specific thing that they did and letting them know, oh man, that'll work wonders. Right. Right. And, and 
we as humans, I think we latch on to the negative more than the positive. So yeah. I think that it, it makes sense because I remember my wrong answers much more than I remembered my right ones. I mean, mm-hmm. so it, it kind of sets us up to where we should be emphasizing the positive more than the negative to try mm-hmm. and offset that. Absolutely. So in my second episode, it's called The Importance of Being Wrong and where a kid has decided this is not something that I'd like to do and I'm not going to do it. And yeah. so they, they pretty much put up that refusal I wonder too if they they put up that wall that I won't do it, and there are kids who put up that wall that they can't do it, and sure. and I you see that in the classroom a lot too, especially like I said I I teach middle school, so a lot of my experience comes from that, and peers become so important in that eleven to fourteen year old range that mm. they're comparing themselves constantly, not just academically, but how they look and how they dress and how they act and who's dating who and all of these things. And that comparison can really get in the way of, you know, a student's own self-perception of what they're able to do. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And you talked earlier about mindset. And I Mm -hmm. think that that's a, that's a really big one. And the mindset of, of, of growing and learning and, daring to be wrong and feeling like when they go into this room, this is some learning's going to happen in here. I'm going to be open to it. I'm going to be, I mean, if you can establish some sort of that mindset with their environment, with the surroundings, then you can get somewhere. But if they are like, I get so frustrated sometimes when there is a small number of students in my class, but they command so much attention because of their popularity, because of their status, whatever it is. And so I'm running defense against these kids in my class because not because of, I mean, if they choose not to learn, that's an individual choice. Mm -hmm. There's only so much that I can do to, to try and make a kid learn. If they refuse to, they refuse to. But when their refusal starts infecting other students, when they're blase attitude makes it to where suddenly now it's not three students it's seven students mm-hmm. it, it it's frustrating and it really does come into that that image and that importance of peers mm-hmm. um, i <laughs> i figured this out by accident years ago i had two students and it was the last period of the day everybody's tired and they could just take the class so off topic. I mean, I just felt like I couldn't get anything done. And I just, I love both these kids and they're funny and whatever, but it's like so off topic in event. And one day I just didn't have it in me. I just didn't have the fight there. I just couldn't do it. And they come in and it's pretty much, they're literally standing in front of the class, just joking around and I'm just letting it go. And then after a couple of minutes, they simmered down and just kind of sat down on their own and I checked the clock. And then that class ended up being so productive. I was like, no. But after that, I would just, I would give them those couple of minutes to get all of it out and and have that attention. And they, I mean, I never talked to them about it. I would just, I kind of gradually let them come in. I wouldn't be as strict about starting class. And it was a huge time saver, that fight and going off 
it never ended up being as productive. But then these kids ended up being engaged in the class because they got all of it out. They got their attention. Like I said, it was a complete accident. I wish I could take credit for this brilliant idea. <laughs> but it was just, you know, and that, that worked with that class. And I think that's just kind of a reminder too, is to, some of us just need that. We need that social attention or we need to get these things out before we can focus. And if we yes. can find out what those needs are and meet them, then we can be ready to learn. Yes, yes, yes. And this is this is something that we forget is how complicated it is being a kid and how they do they need detachment. They need they're gonna have pent up energy, they're gonna have bad moods, they're gonna have just negative views on some things and apathetic views on others. And there's so many things that they're going through that sometimes if we let them work through that. It allows them to focus or to put it past or put it aside for a little while. No, I think that's, I think that's tremendous. And I have, I have caught myself trying to be too rigid in my classroom. And I, I think that what you did was uh, you took a risk and it, it really paid off for you. And I feel like we should be, we should feel comfortable taking those risks. Cause I do think that the, a lot of times they will pay off. Yeah. And even if they don't, what, I mean, what truly is the harm? If you would have lost the majority of that class because you let that go or, okay, so you, you give up that much time to try something out. And mm. even if it doesn't work, boy, that time well spent, right? Yeah. And that wouldn't have worked in every class. And I think no, right. <laughs> it, it just happened to be the time of day, the kids who were in it, you know, what was going on. Because how many times as an educator have you tried something and been like, and walked out and been like, well, that didn't go very well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot, a lot. <laughs> but that's, that's the thing is because we're not just regurgitating information. So even our lesson, if we're teaching it three times a day, you're teaching it to completely different groups of people. Mm -hmm. And so even from hour to hour, it can be different. Yes. And having to make those adjustments and being aware of who's around you and what's going on. And I think that goes back to us talking about learning from home right now is because I, you know, you have siblings and parents and maybe you live with aunts and uncles or other family members and being able to work in that space with those other components could be really challenging as well. Absolutely. And all those different, because they're, they're all a bunch of different power dynamics. Mm. I yeah. mean, the parent... A parent has already has that power dynamic with their child, but the power dynamic of a teacher is different than that of a parent. Absolutely. I mean, my, my mom was a teacher. I, I didn't have her as a teacher because she wasn't in my school while I was in public school, but I, I've had a lot of friends that had parents that were teachers. And I'll tell you what, those parents act very different. They don't act like a parent to their kid in their class. They act like a teacher. Mm -hmm. They're different roles. And I think when you mix those up, it, it can get a little complicated because as much as we would hope that a kid talks to their parents in a different way than they talk to their friends, I think they also talk to their teacher in a different way. Yeah. There's a familiarity with our parents that it can also allow things to get ugly <laughs> mm -hmm. because we have that closeness and that safety with yeah. our parents. So it is a daunting task. 
no matter who's assuming the role, it's most likely they already have a power dynamic with the child or their teenager. Mm -hmm. And now it's going to take on a different dynamic, which uh, very well may be a struggle, especially in the long haul. I mean, it might be an easy first couple of weeks, but then it could become an issue. So it's something that I think is important that when you put on one hat, you should probably take the other one off, um, at least to a point. Yeah, I don't know. I don't if know. That's, um, that's an interesting thought to think about how you are going to distinguish your different roles within the house. Because I think as a parent, you already have all of these different roles that you play. But now I think there are a lot of challenges that come into play as well. Because some parents are working from home and feeling responsible for teaching their, yes. their kids. And that can be really stressful and frustrating on its own. Even if you're not working from home, this is a really stressful time. Yeah, learning to balance that power dynamic is definitely something that we all need to be aware of and start to think about, you know, how that plays out in our own relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the other things that I try to emphasize is that when the school day is over, let it be over. Let yeah. the kids go play their video game. And I'm, a, I'm an advocate for video games when they're done responsibly because mm. it really, I mean, it's another form of a good book, but mm. it's, and I love a good book. I mean, I, I love reading, but playing video games is a, it's a little bit different in the way that like watching a movie is different, but it's more interactive. Yeah. I I've been playing a little video game every once in a while lately. And I don't think about any of the issues that are in my immediate world when I play a video game. And I believe that that's part of what a kid gets out of it too. And I do think that it's important as long as it's done. I mean, everything in moderation. I mean, if they're spending hours and hours every day on it, then that's, there's a lot of things that that's not good for. Yeah. Go moderation in all things, right? Find the balance. Yeah. Well, and if you want the plug to support video games, I'm not a gamer. But every single year, I have at least one student who writes their argumentative paper on why video games are good for you. And there's a lot of research out there to support <laughs> dexterity, problem-solving skills, social building. With the story aspect of games now, there's a lot of other things, too. There's character development, which mm -hmm. puts people into emotional situations, which is putting people in situations where they're feeling empathy for others and acting out of kind of how we how we feel as much as judging a situation there's a it's a highly violent and certainly not for kids uh on netflix called witcher mm. uh, i haven't watched it yet and but I i've have. played the game have you yeah and you like it tell me about the game oh i yeah. love the game and it's <laughs> such a the game it's is very story rich. The fighting is fantastic and the monsters are just there. It's just a really neat game because it's like you're playing, you're playing a cartoon. It's everything's um. really, really vivid, but the characters are so rich and um, there's dark humor and the way Geralt is and just, it's so vivid. I enjoyed that game like very few I've ever played. But, something so beautiful about the sword play and and oh, I mean yeah. just the that's, knowledge it takes and the study I mean if it were real but no that's absolutely and that's one of the really neat things is these animators are studying sword play they're they're putting sensors on people that are actually doing this stuff and creating these moves out of out of traditional um, martial arts and other things it's uh, it's really 
so I don't I don't like online school. I think online mm-hmm. school is especially for public school. I don't think it's a good direction personally. I agree. I, agree. I do, however, think virtual school could be more effective because there still is that that connection, that back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, now, how could we do that and be effective? And the most important question when we talk about access, though, is if we're doing something in the virtual world, that means you need the equipment. How in the yeah. world are we going to get equipment? Well, I mean, are we going to do one-to-one Oculus headsets to every mm-hmm. public school student? Well, and that's the thing in Washington State, one third of the schools in Washington State qualify for Title I funding. So you and I know that means that over 60% of the school qualifies for free or reduced lunch. Right. And so um, part of what I'm doing right now is just calling my families and talking to them and seeing if they need any support from me. And I talked to one family yesterday and she she's a single mom. The only device they have in their house is a phone, her phone, and she has three kids. And oh, you know, and I told wow. them I, that Comcast and uh, companies are offering free internet right now. And she was like, yeah, I kind of looked, I heard that. I looked online, couldn't really find anything. And I looked online and I couldn't, I could find all of these news articles about how there's free internet, but it took some time for me to really track down how to access it. And I'm proficient with technology. And so, and that's something, that's a barrier that we haven't thought about too. It's not just giving the devices to people, but whether they know how to, access what they need to access from home and that will require training yeah that's something that we have to think about as well because in our district i think we're there's one device for every 0.8 kids okay we don't have enough for about 20 percent of our student population and i think what we're hoping is that 20 percent of our population has devices at home that they can use right right that would be best case scenario. Yes, absolutely. But then what do you do when you have more than one kid in the home and they're all, they all need time? Because some districts are scheduling periods where you need to be online for certain periods of the day. Right. And so yeah. how do you do that when, you know, three of you are supposed to be logged on at the same time for different classes? Right. And, and that's the equity there is just out the window. and. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the biggest danger. I mean, this is part of what we go to school to do is it, it becomes redundant, but we're there to close the gap. And the gap is where these kids, this is where these kids exist. The ones that don't have the device, they don't have the internet, they don't have the food, they don't have, those are the kids that we're trying to make sure, make it to the finish line with the rest of them. Absolutely. And this does, it does create that that added burden and Mm -hmm. for those kids to be at home and have nothing but a phone to pass between them to try and do even a modicum of research or just look at the assignments that's being shared by their teacher or i mean that's that's a that's a pretty big burden that's that's tough absolutely absolutely so my district is handed out hard copy packets of work um good good and I know a couple other districts have done that as well. And I mean, we're not going to get them back. You know, we're not going to assess them. So at this point, it's just review and practice and giving kids something to do. But um, it, mm. 
it will be interesting, especially since the Seattle area has seen such an influx in weather lately, too. Maybe this is a way that we deal with snow days. I mean, if we get things to where we can operate it, maybe that's something that we can do from snow days, too. I know some places in the Midwest that have a lot of snow days already do something like this. So, Right, right. And that's... I think we're seeing all over all over the country, though, we have some things that are, I mean, whether it be fires in mm-hmm. a drought area like California or last year when I was in Minnesota, we had that uh, Arctic blast that came through and everything shut down for quite a while. Mm-hmm. There was a couple of years ago, yeah, we were uh, here in Washington, we were going to school until almost the beginning of July because of weather days. And yeah. I had kids who didn't show up to the last two days of school because summer school had already started. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> wow. So you're right. I mean, as far as ingenuity and I mean, if we're able to come up with a way to reach our students, I mean, it's always preferred to be in school. It's always yeah. preferred to have that environment and to be able to supply those things person to person. But for those time periods in which we need to, I mean, it, yeah, especially if it's something like this where, I mean, even when we're able to bring school back into session, it's very possible that the at-risk population is still going to be recommended to stay away. Mm -hmm. I mean, until we have a ready vaccine for COVID-19, it's, I don't want to go into a lot of speculation. I'm not a scientist, but I do think that the at-risk population is going to need to be on high alert for uh, until science has really come up with a way of combating this. So in order to provide that equity for those kids that might have an immune deficiency or something else that they're they're dealing with, how do we make sure that they have access as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting. And I'm I'm hoping that we I don't know that we just share this information. We talk about being educators, being lifelong learners. And I think sometimes we have direction from the state that trickles down into all of these other districts. And we don't share between districts as much as I think we probably should. Because Mm -hmm. I think there are people who have really figured out great ways to do different things. and, um, And maybe not all of us know about it. And so hopefully that's something that we can start to share between districts as well. Like what works, what doesn't, how can we really band together and solve this problem in the best way possible? What was it that made you become a teacher? What, uh, where did this all start for you? Um, Yeah. When did it start for you and what kind of nurtured that feeling that you belong in the classroom? Man, um, if you ask my mom, she thinks I've just been a little teacher since I was a kid. <laughs> um, but for me, we joke because it's some kind of, I'm like, is it because I'm bossy and I tell people what to do? No. But um, as a kid, I grew up in central Washington in Wenatchee. It's a beautiful town, beautiful people. I grew up on this neighborhood block with four other kids my exact age. We all are from middle-class homes, supportive parents. And I was the only one who graduated from high school. I was the only one who went to college out of those five kids on my block. And that's something that I started to really realize when we got to high school, because in middle school and elementary school, you're all kind of in the same classes. And once you get to high school, you start to realize that 
hey, these kids that you hang out with all the time, who you grew up with, who you know, they're not in the same classes, they're really struggling for other reasons. And it's great that they're, one got her GED, another one um, went to the alternative school in town, uh, someone else went to uh, a different program in a different city, but was able to get his GED through like a technical school. But it just, it blew my mind that all these kids who grew up with more or less the same upbringing I did couldn't access something that I felt was pretty easy to access. Mm. And that's when I really first had that kind of idea that, hey, you know, this cookie cutter, everybody gets the same curriculum doesn't necessarily work for everybody. Not everybody can access it even, you know, and so that's really what drove me. And the interesting part is, so I, I went to college, WSU, go Cougs, and um, I was an English major, and I started taking my education classes, and as a 21-year-old, I went and sat in a classroom for, like, a practicum a week long, and there was a bunch of 18-year-olds, and my sister was 18 at the time, and I just kind of had this moment of, like, I've been in school my entire life. I don't want to go back and teach kids who were three years younger than me. <laughs> you know, what do I have to teach them about? I mean, I just, I, so I graduated with my degree in English and history, my history minor. And, um, and then I just worked for a while. And then that's where we met is when I went back for my master's to get my teaching certificate. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I always had that plan to go back. I just needed a little space in between. <laughs> you know, I have an interview with, uh, in my third episode with Marcy, and we do talk a little bit about that, about how now there's a lot of great teachers that come right out of high school, right out of college, and they go right into teachers and, and teaching and they do great. But yeah. a lot of them struggle. And I think part of it is when you have that much closeness and age, Mm -hmm. that a whole authority piece that we were talking about earlier, mm -hmm. it gets complicated and three years difference. Like you mean you were, you were a senior when I was a freshman and now you're a teacher. That's yeah. a little... <laughs> now you're my teacher. Yeah. I can <laughs> well, and I've seen this in my district too. It's the younger teachers are the ones who have the hardest time with boundaries and it can really get them into a lot of trouble because yes. they're still trying to be friends and yeah. you know kids, cool and hip listen to the same music absolutely and the thing is is like it's developmentally appropriate for kids to abuse that i mean a yeah. 14 year old if they're gonna be able to get out of something they're gonna do it yeah and so, <laughs> yeah and that i mean that's their job as a 14 year old that's where they live and that's how they learn but it's really hard because you see these young teachers and like you said not all of them and there's just some exceptionally exceptional educators out there who do just fine right out of school, but it is, especially if you're teaching those higher levels, middle school and high school, it, it can be really tricky and hard to establish those boundaries for sure. Yeah. What is, uh, and these are two questions, just what is it that you really enjoy about teaching and what do you find the most frustrating? <laughs> uh, <laughs> just one thing that I find frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, the thing that I love the most about teaching is the kids. Absolutely. And I, I like showing up every day and 
talking to them and I laugh every single day about just something silly or multiple things that are just great. And you just, you get to see these small humans just grow and develop. And I'm just, I get to see something amazing every day. And I'm constantly, I don't know if I'd say surprised, but like in awe of what we're capable of as a species mm. and being able to see that grow and, and help foster that if I'm lucky is <laughs> wonderful. And I yeah. think the most frustrating thing, if the most rewarding thing is the kids, the frustrating thing is the adults. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I think you have people who are stuck in their ways. You have bureaucracy that you're trying to jump through. You have, curriculum that people are forcing on you you have testing i and just crazy things that it's so hard to work with other adults on and i think i don't know i was as reminded of this story today in fact um my first year teaching in the states i had this girl and she was really upset because she had gotten a c on her first trimester grade and, and she came up to me and she's like well i've never had a c in english before and i was like that that blew me away because I mean she was proficient in some things really just you know struggling in others and so she'd gone her entire kindergarten through seventh grade never realizing some of the challenges that she had in my subject matter she just hmm. kept getting an A in everything and and I think we get stuck on that sometimes like you know an A for effort well you turned it in good job but that was something that was really frustrating to me because I'm like, you know, how do we expect this student to grow if she can't recognize what she needs to improve on? If she goes through right. life having this misconception of her own abilities, how are we ever going to help her? And that's, right. that's something that became really frustrating for me because we want to build on those. We want kids to be aware of what they need to do and what they need to change and how good they are at things and foster them in different directions. And so little things like that, just working within the system, I think would be the, the big challenge yeah. for me. Yeah, I, I have to agree. I, I call it the politics of teaching. It's, yeah. I, I guess it's a little bit of a misnomer or at least misleading because when I say politics, instantly people think of governmental politics. But right. there's a lot of politics within school systems and schools themselves and hierarchies. And there's a lot of subjective um, things that happen in schools and everybody thinks that they're, or a lot of people think that their opinions are the ones that should be listened to. Um, mm -hmm. it, and those are the adults. And yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like I always had a little more patience for kids because like, I like how you put it, he's supposed to be doing that. He's 14. <laughs> that's, yes. They're supposed to be acting that way. And <laughs> That's a, that's a really good way of putting that. I absolutely, like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause that's, that's where I run into the problems with adults because they're not 14. They should have learned by now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But you know, that is, that is a really good one for anybody who is at home teaching though, too, is <laughs> you got to remember that the age of your student, I mean, if they're 14, they're going to be 14. <laughs> if they're 12, they're going to be 12. And Taking that personally, you can't do that. You gotta, you have to have that mindset of they are going to be kids. I mean, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to discipline them. I'm going to put them in their place and try and lead them through this, but they're going to be kids. And yeah, I think that does make it much easier if you can keep well, that mindset. Go ahead. You got to remind yourself of that. I think 
you just have to remember <laughs> that it's, you know, it's going to be okay. <laughs> it's going to be okay. You're not going to be 14 forever. <laughs> uh-huh. well, All like colleges, poor 14 year olds, we're picking on them. They're not going to be this age forever. So, yeah. No, and that's great. And yeah, it's going to be okay. Yeah. And taking that risk. And I think one of my favorite things of being a teacher after a few years is that you've seen, and I was in high school, but I was, I was teaching most, a lot of younger high school students to start with. And then I started doing a lot more seniors after a couple of years. So Mm -hmm. I started getting to see them at two different points in time in there and they changed so much. And I mean, you're in an area, you're in a, I mean, between sixth grade and seventh grade and eighth grade, so much change happening. Holy smokes. It's crazy. They come back with different voices, different sizes. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh man. Yeah, this is my first year in sixth grade, and I, I, um, because I moved uh, schools this year, and um, I didn't think I was gonna like it because I, li- I like it working with eighth graders a lot, but oh, they're they're completely different as sixth graders than they are as eighth graders, and it just it's been really wonderful to see and work with. Oh, that's um, great. Yeah. Oh, they're awesome. I miss them. <laughs> oh, I bet. I yeah. bet. Well, that's, that's great. I'm glad the, I'm glad the change was, was good for you and I'm glad it's rewarding and everything. Yeah. I, there's different, I don't, when we start talking about like pedagogy and uh, you know, what we believe in and how we should be able to teach. Um, there was another school in my district that I moved to and it, it, I, I like what they're doing. They have, um, Because in your last podcast, you were talking to a fifth grade teacher, right? Rachel teaches fifth grade? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was talking about that transition and how you're going from one teacher to six. And it's just crazy. And um, that's how my old school was. And this one, they do what's called team teaching. Oh, excellent. Oh, it's great. So I have 30 kids in the morning for English and social studies. And then they go to my partner teacher in the afternoon for math and science. And then I get the kids that she had in the morning and um, they rotate to their electives. And it's really wonderful because we have team names. They all get to know each other really well. Me and that other teacher get to know them and their families really well. And we can really hone in on social emotional needs that you might get lost when you're seeing so many adults throughout the course of the day for only 50 minutes. And so um, that's one of the reasons why I moved to the school. But the problem is, is it's ex- an expensive system. Yeah. Yep. My, Comes down to cost. Oh, yeah. And so, and that's, talk about frustrations with the system. And you talked about the politics you play. It's like, we make educational systems based on money, not based on what's best. Yeah. And so if you want to stick more kids in, in schools, then you have to get rid of some of these expensive programs like team teaching, for example, just so you can get, you know, students in seats. Yeah. Yeah. What your school's doing is going, they're not going straight into six teachers, but they are moving into a slightly different environment, mm-hmm. but keeping the nurturing piece. I, yeah. I I'm just so impressed. I love it. I, it gives okay. me chills because I feel like that's, <laughs> That's where a lot of this disillusionment of school and not feeling that same level of safety and um, mm-hmm. 
enrichment that they did in elementary school or support as they do in middle school. Wow. I'm really, I'm really, um, really glad to hear that that's going on, but yeah, I I imagine it is quite expensive. Yeah. It's the only middle school in the district that does it. My principal has been fighting to keep it. And that's a big fear among the teachers is once he retires, (laughs) we think he's the reason we've had it for so long, but it just, it kills me because you have these, here in the U.S., we recognize that kids who are middle school age are different. Like when I taught in Spain, you have K through six, and then seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth are high school. And then you either go to a trade school or you stay on to prep for university. Right. And there is no middle school. And here in the U.S., that's what I, we have this hey, we recognize that these kids have different needs and that they need to be in a different place. And we break it up in threes instead of just primary and secondary, which is great, but it's not enough to just recognize that they need different help. We need to put these things in place to support them in these different areas. And like I said, it comes down to money, unfortunately. So that's where, (laughs) but so much in the world does, I guess. Yeah. And it's frustrating. And so on my end of it in the high school, the really expensive thing that I, re- that I remember, I w- I never got to work in it, but the portfolio, um, mm-hmm. the portfolio system for graduating high school seniors was a much better system than I think the cheaper options. It's mm-hmm. much more individualized. It's much more, there's so much more of an investment that they are putting into something and mm-hmm. it can be differentiated, but it's expensive. And yeah. so it just, it goes away in the light of, yeah, we're looking at it, in my opinion, too much like a business. Mm-hmm. Um, but money is money. I mean, we ask neighbors of a, a school to pay more property taxes to when that school needs to be rebuilt, whether mm-hmm. or not they have children, whether or not they're going to stay, whether or not, regardless. I mean, we ask people to pay. So then there's that dynamic too. Are we Mm going to bring up property taxes in this county or in this city to try and pay for more programs? Are we going to try and negotiate? I mean, that's where the politics gets so frustrating because we shouldn't, we should be bound. We shouldn't be bound by money. We should be following the better ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there, there absolutely should be checks and balances. I'm not saying just throw us all of this money because I think depending on your district and who's in charge, money can be misspent. Yes. yes, So you should have to, there should be some sort of system in place to audit that other than just test scores, obviously. But I mean, it's tricky when you're using tax dollars. Absolutely. You want, and people, you know, they pay a lot in taxes and they want to make sure that it's going to a good place. And that's, completely understandable and we learned our lesson from no child left behind we meet and we need more data before we go jumping off a cliff oh man you know what i learned about um some of the schools because i wasn't teaching during no child left behind but a lot of the schools what they ended up doing was cutting down their social studies and science curriculums to double teach english and math because those were the taught subjects And so for 10 years... Because there was standards for those two and not for science and social studies. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's like... And so I found at one of my old schools for 10 years, every single kid who went through that middle school only got 
one trimester every year of either social studies or science because they were taking double no everything else. Way. And oh so my gosh, um, that's forcing schools to make unhealthy choices. Isn't it? And then, I mean, oh. how are we educating our students to be active citizens? That's when they're learning about citizenship and why they should be voting and why these things are important. And it just really broke my heart because that's just one example, but they're, whole generation of kids out there who didn't have access to the same curriculum that the kids have now. So, but I mean, we all, we have to learn from our mistakes and make changes and, you know, and just always be reflective. Yep. That's the truth. That is the truth. Oh man. Thank you so much for your insight and sharing your ideas with us today, Katie. I really do appreciate it. And I, I really do hate it that you don't, you're not able to be with your kids right now. I know that, uh, I know that it's really difficult for teachers being away from their classrooms for this much time. Yeah, but I got them on Google Classroom, so I get to talk to them a little bit. <laughs> good, 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 good. I'm really happy to hear that. Yeah. But thank you very much for your time, Katie. And um, yeah, I hope to have you back at some point. That'd be great. Yeah, sounds like fun. Thanks. Thank you, Katie. That was a great interview. Thank you very much for joining us here on the teacher's desk. You know, one of the things that stands out about what Katie was saying was the mindset that we're able to develop. And what I was saying earlier about the environment that we create and the schedule that we create and these things that we try to institute, whether in a classroom or nowadays in our homes, how do we do it in a way that creates that learning mindset? How do we change a situation or how do we adjust an environment? to make it more about the learning environment than it is about what else it is. Now, we've done this in the past for different reasons. There have been students that have had to use alternative locations because their school was being renovated or their school was being shut down for whatever reason. And teachers have had to do this. And it's a little trickier when it gets inside the home. But I think going back to what Katie said about that, that mindset, if we can establish that mindset, if we can help to create that mindset with the environment and with the schedule and with the way that we interact with the students, I mean, that's, that's another interesting point is a parent to child is a different dynamic than teacher to child. Of course. I mean, of course, a teacher is not the child's parent, but when you start joining those two things together, a parent that is now suddenly also trying to be a teacher. I mean, there's a lot of parents that do homeschool successfully, but a lot of them started homeschooling, and that's what the child knows. These children, a lot of these children, are coming out of public school or private school or whatever it is. They're used to being surrounded by their peers. They're used to having someone who is not their parent that doesn't have that closeness they're used to them writing them to make sure that they're getting all of their assignments done. I don't think that it's something that people who are assuming the role of teacher at home have to do completely. But like I talked about earlier, even adjusting that environment just a little bit. Okay, this is not the dining room right now. This is our classroom. We have our signs up. We have the clock started. Everything goes. And then when we're done, we take it all down. It's the dining room again and we move on from it. Even those little things can help to create that mindset. All right, to rehash what we went through today, 
the three big pieces of advice that we here at the teacher's desk have for anyone who is assuming the role of teacher at home. First is creating that learning environment. Expecting children, expecting teenagers to react in their home the same way they would react in a classroom as far as engaging in work, that's a lot to ask. If there's something that you can do, especially if it's with them and they're involved in the process, change the environment. Use what you have available to you to change that environment a little bit and make that a learning environment for those hours of the day that you're dedicating to school. And like our guest today, Katie said, it's about that learning mindset. If you can do something to create that learning mindset. Second, be the role of the person that manages the routines and the schedules. Look to see what works. Look to see what students do well at. And then look to see where there's struggle. And how can you manipulate the routine to accommodate those struggles? Honestly, if your child needs a little bit longer at math, if they need a little bit longer to read a piece of reading, reading slower and doing math slower, these aren't that important when it comes to developing these skills. Doing it is more important. So if you need to a lot more time, that's fine. But manage that routine, bring it to the student, bring it to your kids, and talk to them about it. This is what I have in mind. What do you think? And that brings in buy-in, and that helps students to feel like they're a part of the process. The third piece of advice for the day is using student voice and looking for ways of making connections with what students already know. We call that their prior knowledge. So remember, when we make connections between what we're learning and our prior knowledge, it helps us to develop understanding. So if you look for opportunities, you don't have to find them all the time, but if you look for opportunities for students to make connections and share what they know and affiliate that with something that they're currently learning, that can really solidify understanding. If you're doing math, if you can hang out in the kitchen, maybe you do a measuring thing where you're measuring different amounts of flour or sugar and breaking it down and learning fractions. Maybe you take a recipe and you increase it by 50% and look at how you have to manipulate everything. All right. Thank you again, Katie, for being our guest today on the teacher's desk. To everyone else, please keep up the good work. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, if you know of someone, a parent, an aunt, an uncle, someone who is assuming this role of a teacher at home, and you think any of the points here might be able to help them, please share this podcast. Let them know. Thank you again for listening. Follow the podcast. Comment. Please share your thoughts. I'd love to know what people think. Share it with other people. Any ideas? If there's things that, if there's questions, things that you're struggling with as a someone who's being a teacher all of a sudden, if you have questions, please share them with me. You can email me through, you can message me through Facebook, you can email me. There's Instagram, there's LinkedIn, there's all sorts of places that you can reach me through. Tell me your questions. Okay, thank you again for joining us at the teacher's desk. I'm Ivan. All right, talk to you later.